black woman, beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation, a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? It was good. I had a house full of people and guess what? They were all vaccinated. All the adults anyway. Felt good. Felt good to know that I wasn't going to get COVID. That's amazing. I think that a lot of people should get vaccinated, but I always say that. So we're not going to get on the vaccination soapbox today. But Mm -mm. everyone in my house has had at least one vaccine, including me this time. I have had one vaccine. So by the end of this month, everyone would have had all of their vaccines. And two weeks later, we will be safe, safe to go outside with a mask, but safe to go outside and not be fearful of catching COVID. Yay. Hopefully things will be open back up soon. What do you think, Summer? Mm, I don't know. It just depends on how these numbers look. We'll see. We'll see. If people want to act right, then yeah, be open back up by June. I will be betting June, but... If people don't want to act right, then we're going to be in the house this summer. Yeah. People are not going to be able to show off their summertime. We didn't talk about plastic surgery and everything. I know. People are not going to be able to show off these summertime bodies. You'll have gained all your weight back by the time next summer comes around. I hope not. If you get plastic hopefully surgery, not. like find an at-home wor- workout routine or something. But yeah, uh, hopefully we'll, we will be out. Your lips to God's ears will be out of quarantine by June and we can get by some June. a semblance of what was normal before. Something like it. I don't necessarily want it to go back all the way the way it was before because I felt like we were always running and moving constantly way too much. So maybe if we get somewhere in between, that'll be great. Maybe. Well, you know, I'm tired of the virtual meetings, though. I feel like I'm busier now with all these virtual meetings because you can't really make an excuse like, oh, I'm too busy. I can't make it. They're like, no, you have a phone. You can (laughs) at least pull it up on your phone while you're driving or you can at least dial in. I'm like, oh, so you don't have really an excuse to like. Miss things. And I'm notorious for like doing like two or three meetings at the same time and then like trying to listen in to my name being said. And then I'll speak up when it's my time on the agenda. But yeah, I'm just tired of this. I feel like I'm being stretched with everybody having so many virtual meetings, like hospital meetings, like literally every two weeks, everybody I have privileges with wants to meet now. It's crazy. But do you think that they'll stop the virtual meetings or do you think that if you can't make it, they'll just be like, oh, no worries, we'll make it. We'll put it on Teams or we'll put it on Zoom. I feel like that's going to continue. I think think that it will continue. They'll have an option to do virtual, but it won't be like, we need a COVID update every week. You know, it won't be that. Mm -hmm. Like that's getting like super old. Like I do not need to talk to my coworkers every freaking week or even every month. (laughs) Just be, (laughs) let's be clear. I don't, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Yeah, that would be nice. Unfortunately, my job isn't like that. So I have to talk to my coworkers pretty much every day with the exception of weekends if we don't have events. But I, it would be nice to see some of them. I think that I would like to see some of my coworkers, but the others, I'm, I think that I like the virtual space. It, it allows people who did not understand boundaries in the office to respect boundaries because you don't have access to me. You can't just walk into my office and start talking. I like it. I must what? Say. They have no boundaries. Now they can just send you a message whenever they want to send you a message. Yes. Just but, saying. but me having to respond to them, I can respond when I feel like I should respond rather than them standing in my face. Because <laughs> I know I will right click on a team's message in a second. Like who viewed it? <laughs> who has viewed my team me- team's messages? Who is not saying anything? Really? You do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm that person. <laughs> I am that person. I want to know who is ignoring me. But maybe it's not ignoring. Maybe I just don't have the time to pay attention to it right this moment. Yeah, but those same people that don't have time want to send some messages wanting help with patient care. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, that's you want different. me to stop what I'm doing. Yeah, that's and different. you don't want to answer my question. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's different. Listen. Yeah, no, that's not how it is in my office. My my office, people think that everything is an emergency, and unlike you, we don't save lives, so it's usually never an emergency. It's just an emergency to them. So. I would like it to continue just a little while longer so that people can solidify their newfound boundaries so that when we do return to the office, they can make sure that they implement those same boundaries. That's all I'm asking. I can see that. I can see that. You know, all right, Janine, I know you talked about this on the last podcast, but what is on your timeline this week? Yes. So we did talk about this last time briefly. Well, two episodes ago, briefly, I asked you to watch the genius Aretha biopic. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched it. Okay. I watched it. Okay. So as you know, the biopic came out a few weeks ago, so probably almost a month ago at this point, but- It's still heavy on our timelines and rightfully so, you know, she's the late queen of soul. She deserves all the attention that she's been getting. Nicole, you know that when we received the advanced screening invite, I was super hyped. I was hyped for a few reasons. One, because I love biopics. It's just a thing. I love seeing people's stories being retold by other people. I just think that it's super dope and it's a really dope way of, um, you know, giving people their roses. And two, I was excited because I love music and love music history. And three, because I love Aretha Franklin. As you said, I will play Aretha Franklin all day. Yes, I sound like I'm 90, but I'm not. So hopefully by now, since it's been out for a while, everyone has seen this. So it's on Nat Geo if you have not seen it. And it's also on Hulu, I believe. So if you haven't seen it, please make sure that you go watch it because it's four parts, two hours each part, and it's super dope. Just watch it. You, If you like Aretha, if you like anything about Aretha or even that time, you'll love this. But this is not the only biopic that has been created. After Aretha passed away in 2018, there were a whole bunch of people that started on these projects to like honor Aretha. So this was one of them. And then there's one that's set to hit the big screen with Jennifer Hudson, I believe, starring in it. And that's called Respect. So Respect, unlike this one that we're referring to, was actually greenlit by the Franklin family. This biopic, however, was not. They did not agree with it. They say... One reason that they didn't agree with it is because they were not consulted, which that's been rumored to not be the case, but we don't know because we were not involved. But more so, they said that they wanted to honor the fact that, you know, Aretha Franklin was fiercely private. So they felt like, you know, this kind of 
delved into areas that she probably did not want um, to be discussed. Now, I believe that more than anything, because the series really gets into like the nitty gritty details of her life from childhood or really birth, honestly, to the pinnacle of her career. So while the film explicitly documents her life and how she was able to grow from like a cute little church girl to the legend that she became, it also goes through the struggles that she endured throughout her journey. So the film depicts the juxtaposition between Aretha's public life and her private life. So, you know, in public, she was the 16-year-old activist who was on tour with Martin Luther King Jr. But in her private life, she was the 16-year-old mother of two. Aretha undoubtedly is a legend. I mean, like, you have to give her her credit. She's the first woman to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She had over 50 top 10 placements on Billboard charts. She won countless Grammys and other awards. But the road to get her to her queendom, so to speak, wasn't easy. Her life was super complex. It was greatly influenced by her father, who was a prominent figure in the black church. The documentary is as much of a story about her father, um, C.L. Franklin, as it is about Aretha. So it kind of delves into, you know, some of the demons that that Reverend C.L. Franklin faced and the load that it then put or the burden, I should say, that it then put on to his family. So the documentary tapped on my soul, as I said in the previous episode, just a little bit because of some of the things that Aretha's family had to endure because they were a prominent family in the black church. The movie hits on everything from promiscuity to alcoholism to infidelity to even pedophilia and statutory rape. And honestly, it kind of depicts C.L. Franklin or Reverend C.L. Franklin as a classic example of how the black church has this way of overlooking certain things when it's convenient for them or like, you know, sweeping it under the rug or kind of deeming it like a family secret so that no one talks about it. So as you know, in the black church, they teach us like you shouldn't put your mouth on the man or the woman of God because you don't want to be disparaging or you don't want to cause somebody else, you know, to stray because of what you've said about the man of God or man or woman of God, I should say. But This film kind of depicts how that's a double-edged sword because while you don't want to speak poorly of the man or woman of God, it also kind of allows their demons and the things that they're dealing with or struggling with to kind of be overlooked. And oftentimes it's just that that causes us to like inadvertently allow immoral behavior because of what we're trying to cover up. What do you think, Nicole? Girl, I thought that... that, uh... The whole series was a mess. Let's start there. First of all, it made me see Aretha in a completely different light. You know, everybody knows her as as this like sort of distinguished, sort of regal to herself type of woman is how I remember her. And um, the movie made her seem like she was a little bit ruthless and she was by herself. Like she was sort of kind of selfish. Like the opportunities that she took away from her siblings, how she just sort of like left her kids over with her uh, grandmother and her dad to go pursue her career was like, oh, you really going to leave? You got this man over here you with, your kids over here back at home. I mean, it just made her seem like she was a little bit selfish. But again, you had to feel sorry for her too, because she obviously was abused at some point in you know, in her childhood, nobody knows who those other, those two children are. The, the names of those fathers keep on floating out there. They're not consistent anywhere. And some people think maybe the dad, maybe that's why he was, she was so close to the dad. Maybe he's a father or maybe she was molested. Maybe she was raped when she was 12, but 
regardless, she was 12 when she had her first child and she was 14 when she had her second child. And I did not know that at all when she was living. Really? <laughs> I did not know that. Did you know that she had children as, as a teenager when she was living? I had read a book before that someone had recommended to me and I knew that from the book. But yeah, it's yeah. But that also mm -hmm. but that book also was not supported by the family either. They don't like the fact that people are calling out facts because the fact is she had a child when she was 12 and 14. You mm -hmm. can't cover that up. You don't like the fact that it's out there, but it doesn't change the fact that it was out there. Even she didn't like some of the facts that were out there when her husband told the reporters about her mother. Correct. Leaving the family. She didn't like the family secrets out there, but it doesn't change the fact that it happened. So I understand that you don't like the truth out there, but it's the truth. Yeah. So you don't have to support it, but it is what it is. Yeah, but I think that part of it was that she was supporting what her father had taught her, right? Like their family secrets. You remember even at the beginning of the movie or the, at the beginning of the series when she was young and she was sitting in the kitchen and someone asked her about her kids and she was like, those are family secrets. Like, basically, you're just not supposed to talk about that. But then, I mean, look at look at what her father gave her as an example. Like he was running around on her mother and, you know, her mother knew it and then she couldn't take it anymore. So subsequently she left. But again, the example that she had, I'm surprised that she even was able to be a productive member of society, let alone, you know, become a legend. No, true. True. I mean, when the when the the father and the 12 year old took me out, I was like, I need to stop watching right now. And the mom, I was like, OK, she she bossed up she got her stuff she she was like i'm out of here and then he like said some prayer on the floor and she was like okay i guess i'll forgive you and i was like wait a minute what just happened there how did you just how did you just take him back and you have somebody that slept with a whole child a child that's the same age as your oldest child Correct. i don't know if i could do it Right. But mm -hmm. they overlooked that. They overlooked they they the fact that under the rug, they overlooked the fact that he had numerous girlfriends. They overlooked the fact that he had an alcohol problem. They overlooked a lot. And if you remember, do you remember when he was like, you know, he called Aretha and he was like, you're, you're coming to my trial, right? Like you're, you're going to come to my trial, right? Like after he had that situation where he had the wreck for drunk driving, his concern was not about what was going on with Aretha's career at that point or anything. His concern was making sure that the image, him. right. And the, his image was maintained. It was all about his image. All the while, still preaching the gospel, still running revivals, still having church anniversaries. Well, I've been saying forever, when you talk about, you know, my husband's a minister. So when you talk about the stuff that happens behind closed doors at the church, I was like, oh, child, this is close to home. I mean, they were definitely out there. I was like, oh, is the pastor like having parties and in the club? Like, is he having an orgy? Right. What is going on? Yeah, that was. But all the church people were there. All it of them. It wasn't just the pastor. It Even was his, all of them. And his daughter. Yep. That someone was supposed to be watching. Yep. I was like, oh, okay, this is how we doing it. Oh, wow. And yeah. my and my husband was like, oh, everybody knows um, the great CL. Like if you're in ministry, you know, no, CL Franklin, a hundred percent. I honestly don't think that we would know who James Cleveland was if it wasn't for Reverend Franklin. That's true. So, That's true. yeah, everyone knows Reverend Franklin. But again, how much of this did we overlook 
because, you know, he had the, the power to like rally the troops and, you know, bring the people forth. And he was running these huge revivals and he was having these huge church anniversaries. He was he was the man. But how much nonsense was overlooked because he was Reverend C.L. Franklin? Well, and then also the times, right? This was not during the Me Too movement. You know, this was during the time where women were, you know, objectified. Like, mm-hmm. you are the woman you're supposed to stay in your place. So if something was going on with you, you can't really say anything. And you're used for this man's pleasure. That was very obvious. Oh, absolutely. And so they overlooked things and kept it moving. Absolutely. But I'm sorry, Me Too movement or not, those times are not. Statutory rape was still it's statutory still, rape. Yeah, but no one's well, no one was talking about it. My thing is, if your child, because they they made it in the movie as if Aretha was taken advantage of. Now, whether that was true or not, we don't know because supposedly both their two kids have the same daddy, the the youngest ones. Okay, but the movie depicted it as that, as mm-hmm. if she was taken advantage of. Like literally, she went to go find her dad and she bumps into some guys in the club area of the hotel. Basically, they give her some drinks. And so it leads you to believe, oh, she got tipsy. She doesn't remember how she had sex. And she ended up pregnant a couple months later because she didn't remember that she had had sex. I mean, she didn't remember. So Mm -hmm. my thing is the dad found out about it and he was just like, oh, baby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're going to make this all right. I'm just thinking about anybody else's father who thought their child was taken advantage of would have been livid. But this is the black church we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And the second time when he found out that she was pregnant, he tried. He, As a matter of fact, he basically blamed it on Reverend Cleveland, which is why Reverend Cleveland had to leave his church. Like yep. there was no responsibility placed on the people who actually took part in the act and caused her to be pregnant. I mean, her and whoever the young man was, but it it was just a lot. And really it was all about, it, it was all about the image and what the image looked like. But he was determined to make sure that she was going to be a star, regardless yeah. of how many babies she popped out. He was determined to make sure that she went on that road and became a star. You drop the babies off and you get back on that road. And she, that's exactly what she did. So Janine, you know, this kind of stuff still happens in the black church. Unfortunately, I do. I, you know, I was raised in a family full of preachers, so I can't and, say that it's it's that far away from home for me either. And, and you know, it, it's very close to home. And if you're listening to us, you may hear like the little bit of hesitancy <laughs> in both of our voices. I mean, this is a hard topic for us to talk about because we know it's true. Us mm-hmm. seeing it on this biopic is not the first time we've heard about stuff like that happening in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's not... You know, the first time we've heard about it presently. So if you hear the little hesitancy in our voices, it's because it's a freaking hard topic to talk about. But you know what? We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. We have to talk about it because guess what? We're not going to continue to perpetuate the nonsense that we know is going on in the black church. So instead, we'll talk about it. Expose it. Shine a little light on it. That's what you're supposed to do, right? That's what we're going to do. All right. So our listeners, you guys... (laughs) have sent us uh, a couple of stories, uh, some letters about the scandals in the black church. (laughs) So we're going to talk through it. Johnny, you ready? I'm ready. Go ahead. All right. So uh, this listener says, Nicole and Janine, I'm thinking about leaving my church. 
My little cousin was sexually assaulted by the youth minister at the church. She was only 15 years old at the time and the youth minister was 26 years old. My cousin was adopted at age 12 years old and has been known to be a little fast for her age. We attribute this to her history of sexual abuse. My cousin's parents, adopted parents, asked the youth minister to bring her home after Bible school one night. Instead, he ended up having sex with her in his car. Another person in the youth group saw it and told the pastor, who did nothing except for have a talk with him, quote unquote. Two weeks later, her parents found out by reading in her diary. They called the police and the youth minister was arrested. Now he's awaiting trial. No one in the church has spoken about it. So I started to ask around for more details. The pastor saw me and pulled me to the side to tell me that the church was suffering enough and I needed to leave well enough alone. I was floored. I couldn't believe the pastor didn't want me to find out more details. Plus, my family is hurting, and it seems like he cares more about the church and the church's reputation than ours. Am I overreading the situation? What should I do? The simple answer to your question is no, you're not overreading the situation. The longer answer to your question is you need to leave this church. This church is clearly a toxic environment in which not only immoral, but illegal behavior is being overlooked. And if that is not, which we hope as one of our listeners, that's not something that you can agree with, then you have to leave. You cannot continue to support a ministry that supports this kind of negative trauma being placed on kids. One of the things that stuck out in the letter to me was that the young girl was a little bit fast, I believe is the terminology that you used, and you attributed to her previous sexual trauma. I understand the thought process behind you explaining that in the letter. However, there is no justification or explanation that will give a grown man the right to have sexual intercourse with a child at all. I don't care if she's swinging from the chandeliers. It's not okay for a grown man to have sex with a child at all, under any circumstances, on any day, at any place, anytime, it's just not acceptable. And to support a ministry that clearly has just kind of accepted this because the, the pastor said the church has suffered enough. The church has suffered enough. Are you kidding me? Are we really concerned about the church itself over the well-being of one of the parishioners? Like, I'm sorry, but last I checked is if one sheep is behind, you go back and get that other sheep. That's how I was taught. That's Bible. That's not the church is suffering. So we just put this person over. That's not what that is. This just this church just seems to be. And I don't again, I was taught and believe that you shouldn't speak ill of the men and women of God. But this preacher seems to have lost focus somewhere along the line, lost touch somewhere along the line. And it's possible, you know, we all fall. But you do not have to support this just because this is where you've been going to church or where you think that you've been raised. Like sometimes it's time to make a move and something like this, something this drastic as an overlooking statutory rape. I can't in my heart of hearts, I cannot even begin to suggest that you would even stay in that ministry. That's just me. What do you think, Nicole? Well, yeah, I've been left. I would have been gone. I mean, my thing is this one I would be calling Janine and being like, okay, how can I get some press on this? Because I'm about to put everybody on blast. The fact that the pastor knew two weeks ago and didn't report it two weeks ago. I'm like, don't you have a legal, don't you have? 
Don't you? I'm just, I can't even speak right now. No, you're Because right. I thought that pastors, like doctors, like if you see misconduct, you have an obligation to report. So the fact that this pastor knew two weeks ago and it wasn't reported until the parents found out by reading in the diary, which for that man to be arrested, the 15 year old had to go and admit, yes, this had happened. And obviously you have witnesses that also saw it happening. So my thing is you were just careless altogether. You're in the car, really? At the church? Having sex in the car? Even if it was a grown person you're having sex with. Like, it's just What kind of disrespect? Yeah, I mean, it, like, who has sex on church grounds? In the car? Like, to me, that's just disrespectful on a lot of levels, even if this wasn't a 15-year-old child. But it is a 15-year-old child, which makes it, not only disrespectful, but just plain old nasty and illegal. So I would be putting everybody on blast. I would be blogging about it. I would be calling the news about it. I would be trying to get it out there because I would need people to understand that there are some things happening in this church that this pastor does not want to be found out. And I would be trying to get all his stuff audited, trying to get finances audited. Because you know, if this has happened this one time and this pastor's not reacted, it's probably happened before in the past. How many people have they paid off to be quiet? You know, something else is going on behind closed doors. So yes, I would out everybody and I would leave the church. I would definitely leave the church. But you know what, Johnny? There's a lot of families that do this kind of stuff. Not just the church, just families in general, not just Aretha's family, common folk Mm -hmm. that do this. I was talking to um, one of my family members because I have an aunt that was sexually abused and no one talks about it. And I'm like, well, who was the person that abused her? We don't know because nobody really wants to talk about it. Did he get arrested? No, he didn't get arrested. They t- they had a talk with them and he just doesn't come around anymore. Well, that leaves him open to go and hurt somebody else, even if it's not within the family. Right. It gives him the right to go and hurt somebody else. But it's supposedly embarrassing, right? You don't want the attention on your daughter. You don't want the attention on your family. So instead, you reassure your child that you're not going to let her come in harm's way anymore because this family member is not going to go around. What kind of message does this actually tell your daughter, though? That's the question. To me, it says you don't care. Yeah. To me, it says you don't care. Like, can you really protect me if you're not legally protecting me? I mean, honestly, Nicole, that's a good question because it's already hard enough to legally protect your kids, right? Like it's already, I mean, the process in and of itself almost re-victimizes the victims. So to just not even address it to begin with, it's like heart-wrenching, honestly. Like, what do you do? How do you protect your kids? Like, if we don't talk about it, how do we know that it's not happening anymore? Like, why are we not talking about these things? I mean, it's 2021. We are we are all knee deep in Me Too movement. Why is the church exempt? Well, one, you got to realize that church in general, not just a black church, church is still very much so male dominated in terms of leadership. You've got a lot of women parishioners, but you are male dominated in terms of who your clergy is, like your pastors and your youth pastors and they are men and some men and some churches, especially some of these Southern Baptist churches, don't allow women in the pulpit. That's just still a thing. And so if you have a basic good old boys club in terms of church leadership and then you come up with, hey, you got to treat women a certain way when they're not viewed as equal in terms of leaders within the church, then that's a problem. And it's like the church hasn't caught up with the whole Me Too movement 
or women's equality. It just hasn't. And that's that's a fact. They haven't. Yes, I understand that, Nicole. But they haven't even caught up to basic legal issues that and I'm not even like, let's not even go as far as women having equal rights. I'm saying it's illegal to sleep with a child. Correct. Yeah, it is. It is. So why do we overlook illegal behavior? Listen, because everything is about what looks good on the outside. That's my opinion. I'm not saying that's fact. That's my opinion. People want the church to be perceived a certain way. That's just like uh, even when, when James and I started dating, we used to talk about churched versus unchurched. Have you ever heard those terms? Oh, yes. she's churched or she's unchurched. Her yep. talk is unchurched, you know, yep. church versus unchurched. And so if you're churched, You know when to say amen, hallelujah. You know when to stand up. You know when to raise your hand. You know after church, you're going to go smooth with other people and shake hands and do all these things because you're churched. Absolutely. The unchurched people, they're sitting down, looking around. They're uncomfortable. They may leave church a little bit early. They're getting out of there. And you might see them around the way. You may see them out and about at the club. You see the church people out and about the club sometimes too, though. But they're usually a little bit judgy. They get home early enough to change and put on their church clothes mm-hmm. before they go um, go back to church on Sunday. But yeah, church versus unchurched girls. So it's about appearances. And a lot of churches is about appearances. And if we admit that you have ministers in the church that's sleeping with underage children and pastors that's having affairs, then, you know, if you can't say amen, you say ouch. And you keep on going. Mm. I want there to be a few more ouches and a lot more ousting as opposed to just saying, oh, it's okay. We're we're just going to pretend like that didn't happen. Okay, Nicole, I got a good one. It says, dear Janine and Nicole, I was raised in the black church. To say that my relationship with organized religion is complicated would be putting it very lightly. At 15, I was outed as a lesbian by someone I considered to be my big sister. What followed over the next few years was nothing short of horrific. I was no longer allowed to participate in extracurricular activities at school. Instead, every day after school, I was dropped off at church to pray, study, or just sit there, waiting for my deliverance, I suppose. I was called out during every single sermon. One particular Sunday, I was forced to drink blessed oil to, quote, purge my homosexual demons while the congregation was just sitting to watch and pray. While all of this was happening with me, the organist was having an inappropriate relationship with young girls. And let's not forget the pastor's son-in-law who got the leader of the praise and worship team pregnant. Neither of those incidents received public acknowledgement as mine did. So I left the church at 19 and never looked back. I moved to a new city, I got a great job, and I have a great life. I recently received news that the pastor of the church passed away from complications of COVID-19. Although it's been 10 years, all of those feelings came rushing back. All of the messages and tributes on Facebook only served as reminders that people are so often complicit in their harm and abuse of others under the guise of holiness or hell. Am I wrong to not want to attend the funeral? Am I wrong for not feeling sad that this person even died? So um, the short answer is no, you're not wrong. So if somebody has wronged you or made you feel um, uncomfortable or um, made you not be in a good space, 
and you've been in that place for a long time. And then that thing that you um, that reminds you of that place dies. It's almost like you can breathe a little bit. So, no, I don't think that you're wrong. I think it's very natural to feel um, all these emotions coming back because it's a reminder of what happened in this church. And as the leader of the church, you know, they are responsible for the things that the congregation does. They're responsible for you having to basically tarry on the front pew until you are delivered. And they're also responsible for overlooking the fact that you got Tom, Dick and Harry that's on stage getting, getting, getting people pregnant. So he did not say anything about them, but he had his two cents and opinion about you. And even if he was not the person that directly put you on the front pew, he is the person I'm sure that laid hands on you on the altar. And he is the person for sure that made sure you were sitting on the front pew, pew and praying about your, uh, your, uh, you being lesbian. So yes, I think that it's fine to feel relief. And to also not go to a funeral of somebody that's caused you a lot of hurt. So, no, you're not wrong. I think it's very natural for those feelings and emotions to come back. But let me say this. You said that you left the church and you never looked back. When I say, when we say the church, to me, that means like the Christian church. Okay. And maybe I am misconstruing that, but I do want to make sure that we are talking about the black church, but I don't want to make it seem like Every black church is going to have people that are raping people and molesting people in the church. That's not what we're saying. Or every church is going to, you know, want you to tarry on the front pew to try to, you know, pray the gay away, quote unquote. I'm not saying that. So I'll say this. If your relationship with God is intact, then your relationship with that particular church doesn't have to be intact. And I think that you can develop a relationship with God outside of your relationship with that home church. And I do think that if you have a relationship with God, it is worth trying to pursue other churches. Maybe you'll feel more connected. I mean, there are churches with leaders that are lesbian or bisexual that those type of churches do exist and they're christian churches so i don't want you to think that like there's nowhere for people that are in same-sex relationships to go if they are christian because that is not necessarily true you may need to do a little bit more searching for those accepting churches but they are out there and i don't think you should break away from christianity if you have a relationship with god or if you want to have a relationship with god you can still have it and be yourself, be all you, okay? Because we all we all have something that we're dealing with. All of us have something that we're dealing with. So don't think that God won't accept everything that you have just how you are, because he will. But either way, that church was just wrong on a lot of levels. And just listening to you, Janine, I'm like, oh, she must have been like in Mississippi, Alabama. Like, cause that's what they did. Like when I say Terry on the front pew, like you have to hear my husband talk about like Terry and like, oh, I remember Terry service. Yeah, where you, you would be the on the front. Absolutely. And you would be saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus so fast till you were drooling out of your mouth and looking crazy. Like, I remember that where they would make you sit on the altar. I mean, Ooh. revival after revival. And you'd be like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, to the point where you're like slurring your words and it sounds like tongues. So you're just like, I spoke in tongues so I can get off the altar. Yes, I 100 yeah. percent know what you're talking about. Let me tell you, I don't know where this person is from, but I'm from 
the DMV, as we have made this very clear in previous episodes, I'm from the DMV and I have, I mean, I've lived outside of the DMV, obviously, but I'm generally the Northeast, right? And it's the same thing. It, it could be Mississippi, Alabama. I feel like if you go to any Pentecostal church or, or Southern Baptist church, that's what you're going to get. You've had Terry service. You've had someone fall out on the floor where they put a, a, a sheet over you until you, you know, finished feeling the Holy Ghost. I, Okay, so let me respond to the letter because we went off on a little bit of a tangent. We're going to have to have another episode about this, FYI. But let me let me go back through this letter. So there are a lot of things in this letter that disturb me. The the distrust that you probably have for this person that you considered your big sister that shouldn't have outed you because, you know, that's not their story to tell. It's your story to tell. If you wanted to be known as a lesbian and that was your story to tell, that bothers me about this story. It bothers me that they made you some sort of public spectacle as if this was their, you know, the congregation's soul salvation to figure out. It's not. I find it very difficult to go to churches where people make one individual in the congregation a spectacle because I feel like that's not helping. Like I always think about what it would be like if I were in that situation and I know that I would shut down. I would not be in any place any headspace, any spiritual space, any space to receive anything from God because I would be so mortified and embarrassed. So the whole concept of making people public spectacles is just disturbing to me. And that's something that the black church does often. I'm not saying that every black church does it, but the black church does it often. I just, it doesn't sit well with my spirit. I'll just say that. This whole concept of like everyone praying for you that your demons will go away because you're homosexual Feel what you want about homosexuality or not in general. I still do not think it's a place to put someone on display and say that they need to be rid of their demons because are we putting everybody on display, ridding them of their demons? Are we ridding the people of their fornication demons? Are we ridding people of their adulterous demons? Are we ridding people? Let's talk about the black church for real. Are we ridding people of their gluttonous demons? Are we ridding all of those demons too? Because we can't just rid the demons that we want to rid and leave the other ones. And I think that that's where I have a problem with this because obviously there's some impropriety uh, and then there's impropriety in the pastor's own family, it seems. So if there's all of that in that church, much like the previous letter, thank God that you got out of that church, right? And like Nicole said, that doesn't mean that you have to get out of the church as a whole, but thank God that you got out of that church because the church seems toxic. It seems like, you know, they they publicly embarrass their, their parishioners. They don't seem to think that certain sins are equal to other certain sins when I see nothing but, you know, inappropriate relationships with the young girls. So that seems like it's some statutory situation going on there. And then it says the pastor's son-in-law got the praise and worship team leader pregnant. I'm assuming if it's the son-in-law, that means that he's married. So he's sleeping with someone else. So not only are we fornicating, but we're adultering. So we're just out here doing all kinds of stuff, but we're not talking about that. We're only talking about the homosexuality. I have a problem with religious organizations that pick and choose which sins they feel are greater than other sins. The way that I learn sin is a sin is a sin. If you lie, that's just as bad as cheating. That's just as bad as stealing. We either going to paint everybody with a broad brush and everybody's sinning, or we're not going to point people out. That's all I'm saying. As I said, thank God that you left that church because it sounds like a mess. And no, you don't have to feel sad when someone that has caused you a significant amount of trauma in your life passes on. As Nicole said, I'm sure that you probably feel very relieved, but you don't have to subject yourself to a funeral. You don't have to 
try to, you know, muster up feelings of sorrow or remorse. Relief is a very real emotion. And that's something that you can feel. Relief is fair. And you know what? We're glad that you that you moved on. And we hope that you find another church that you like, you know, a church that's more open and friendly and a church that doesn't cause us trauma, a church that actually is a place of healing and refreshing, not further perpetuating the trauma that we experience in the world. I agree. And before y'all listeners come for us, because I know, I know y'all gonna come for us and y'all be on Instagram in the DM talking about Janine. I can't believe y'all talked about him. Don't come for Janine. You can come for me, but I don't know if you want any of this smoke, but you I was can come about for say. me. But, but do realize that this is, we are Christians. Like Janine and I are in the black church. So this is like us talking about the family drama, the family right. situation. So if you think back as much as you don't want to hear it right now, you know that there are some things that you've heard about, the whispers that you wonder about that's going on in the church. And you have to be real with yourself and admit there are some things that have gone on. At least one of the churches you've gone to in your adult life. You mm-hmm. just think about it. I mean, Nicole, when we were talking about this episode, you and I talked about scenarios that we had experienced, like literal things that we had experienced, whether it was growing up or, you know, recently since we've been grown. But this is not these things don't just come out of thin air. They come about because they're actual things that happen to people, to you all, our listeners. So you, as Nicole said, you can come, you said, she said you can come for her, but you can come for me too. I got something for you. This hot scripture I'm going to give to you. Come for me, please. She's going to give you a hot scripture. (laughs) Please come for me. I'm ready for it. Don't worry. I'm, I'm ready. So whatever it is that you all have to say about how we presented this episode, feel free. We open dialogue here. Come, come on. All right, hype master. So <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn new this week, Johnny? So on a more positive note, so if for whatever reason you are going to a church that is perpetuating any of this drama that or drama or abuse, anything that you don't feel comfortable with, there are 69,738 approximately because, you know, churches open and shut every day, 69,738 black churches in the United States of America, 69,000. And there are, it says dozens of denominations, but I know that there's, there are dozens of major denominations like the CME, the Pentecostal, the Church of God in Christ, the Southern Baptist. There are more than a dozen denominations, but then there are also some non-denominational churches. So if for whatever reason, the church that you currently attend isn't working for you, there are 69,737 other churches that you could attend. That's a ridiculous amount of churches, but that's a whole lot of Jesus. But what that tells us is that can't nobody agree. Everybody's breaking off and starting their own thing. You get mad, you leave, you go start something else. Y'all, we got to stop that. We got to stop that. It should not be 69,000 black churches. What'd you learn this week? So I did learn that um, I was looking at the Pew Research Report and I did learn that of the pastors that were interviewed, 16% of them have been married at least twice. You've got to be kidding me. And I'm not. And 68% of black Christians think that abortion should be legal and half of them have had one. Wow. I don't know what out of this study. I don't know whether that I should be like happy about that or I should be. I think that I, I think that I, my gut instinct is to be happy about that because it means that women feel like they have control over their bodies and the decisions that they make for their bodies. But then I think about it like that's, mm, a, that's a lot of abortions. 
Now, I will say this. When they talk about black Christians, they're talking about historically black Protestants. Let me clarify that versus evangelical Protestants. Two thirds of black black people, black Protestants actually identify as evangelical Protestants. Only a fourth of black people identify as historically black Protestants. So oh. the number's a little bit lower than we think, but still. That's still high. Still like significant. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, maybe we'll have another episode about the black church because I'm sure there's plenty to talk about. We need to bring a black pastor on. Yeah, we should. That we ask, ask, ask your husband who we should bring on. Oh, Lord, he's going to tell you all kind of people. I, maybe we have a panel discussion. Maybe we find a, a black female pastor. My pastor is the female, so. Hmm, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. Hmm, okay. Are you ready for the motivational moment? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay, and I. this is from me. This is from me in my heart. And it says, God knows who you are and whose you are. So live in your truth and don't let anyone else define who you are or keep you from expressing your true self. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep BWC. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media Production.